0: Welcome to CHP Conversations, a podcast series produced by the VCU College of Health Professions. This series includes conversations with faculty, students, and alumni who exemplify our mission to create influential leaders in healthcare. Welcome to CHP Conversations. I'm Mike Porter. While I typically work behind the scenes in this series, I want to step in front of the microphone to discuss a topic that as a current doctoral student, I'm intimately familiar with. Many students must balance pursuing an academic degree with maintaining employment in order to be financially stable. For graduate students, this may involve maintaining a role within their career, which may or may not be related to their academic pursuit. Today, we are discussing how to approach these dual worlds and what can be done to make the most out of this experience. When I thought of who to speak to about this topic, I immediately thought of someone that I often commiserate with on balancing work and school concurrently. Lauren Mortensen serves as a Senior Program Specialist for the PhD in Health-Related Science Program and the Bachelor of Science in Health Services Program for the College of Health Professions. In this capacity, she works in collaboration with the nine departments of the school to provide interdisciplinary health science education. Additionally, she teaches in the BS Health Services Program. She's been at Virginia Commonwealth University since 2010 and previously worked in the Human Resources in the Learning and Development and Employee Benefits Department as well as VCU School of Education. She received her B.S. in management with a concentration in human resources and M.E.D. in adult learning with a human resources development concentration, both from VCU. She is currently a Ph.D. doctoral candidate in the School of Education. Her research interests include organizational and institutional support for adult learners, specifically those students who are employed full-time and striving for work-school balance. Additional research interests include inclusive learning communities and appreciative leadership approaches. Lauren, welcome.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, as I said, I really appreciate you coming here. I um, find this to be a you know a topic that we're both involved with, but also have some interest with, you know, to help support others. Absolutely. Um, so I was really interested to kind of get your, your background in, in sort of how you've achieved this balance or attempted the balance.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I started all three of my degrees. I've been working full time at VCU while while pursuing them. So, by this third one, I think I've got a little better handle on it. Although, this is the first one where I'm also a working parent as well, uh, which goes along with it.
0: Looking for a little more challenge, huh? <laughs> so, what was, you know, what kind of pushed you to return to school most recently?
1: So, for my PhD, um, I graduated from my master's in 2015, and it was already sort of in the back of my mind at that point. Um, I knew I was going to take a few years off, focus on starting a family, but it was something that I always wanted to go back towards. Working in higher education, having a terminal degree, having a doctorate just opens up more opportunities for you here. So I just knew it was something I was interested in. If I look at my top five strengths, one of them is a learner. I just love bringing new information to myself and, and expanding my education.
0: Excellent. So when you were, you know, you already had that in mind, Mm -hmm. but when you decided to, I'm going to go for it, did you talk to anyone about the decision?
1: Absolutely. So I talked to a lot of people. The first two people I talked to, and I was thinking about this, I don't remember if I talked to my husband first or my boss, Lori Cathers, first they were the main two people I talked to because I knew I needed support from my supervisor and my work. And I also knew that I needed to su- support from my family. So those were the two really big conversations that I had to sort of say, this is what it's going to look like. You know, I'm going to be, especially with my husband and my family, you know, I'm going to be spending a lot of evenings doing schoolwork. I'm going to be in classes again, those four to six, 40, seven to nine forty, writing at the library. Um, with my boss, it was, I might have to leave work a little bit early, take some additional time off to do schoolwork and things. So those are the main two people I talked to. After that, I'm a really big fan of informational interviews. So I got some contacts from people that had graduated from the PhD program that I was looking at and called them up and just had conversations with them about their experience, if they thought it was a, a good investment of their time and their money, if they would have done anything differently. So I really talked to a lot of people before making the decision because it's a huge decision to pursue any degree, let alone a, a doctoral degree
0: absolutely and and I had a similar experience. That I would say that you know we talked about you know talking to your family i I remember having that conversation and and talking to my wife and saying, like, "Well, this is like a shared decision. do we want to go into this?" Uh, Like, I may be doing the classwork, but this is not an individual decision, Um, because I don't think you could do it on your own.
1: No, absolutely not. And I remember I had a conversation with somebody one time, and I kept saying, I'm waiting for the right time to do it. I'm waiting for the right time to do it. It was actually our former dean, Susan Parrish, and she said, if you're waiting for the right time to go get your PhD, you're never going to go get your PhD. Like, it's always going to be things coming up. There's always going to be, you know, I've missed a soccer game. I've missed a swim meet. I've missed things here and there, but... You you just have to do it, <laughs> find the time.
0: Speaking of time then, so when you were kind of, you know, preparing for this decision, you know, what were your thoughts in terms of time management? Um, you know, did you feel like you had a plan in place to handle what was about to happen?
1: No, I didn't at all. <laughs> Going into my PhD program, I had zero background in research, and I had to really learn all of the research techniques and backgrounds, which was a lot harder for me. So what I thought was going to be a reasonable time management expectation when I was taking the research classes was a lot different. I had to put a lot more time in it. There's a lot more time outside of the classroom than I was expecting. So I definitely sort of pivoted that thought from what I was originally doing. I also started my PhD program in the fall of 2020. So it was right in the middle of covid so talk about the wrong time to start a PhD program. Um, so a lot of my classes were on Zoom. So then there was the transition to the face-to-face classes as well, which took a different level of time management, sort of traveling to campus.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I mean, and obviously switching modalities. Right. You know, when I, I think about that with, with the time management, and maybe this rings true for you, is that I... I would set aside time for for something, like you said, like for something, a new concept, research concept. And you say, I have this three-hour window. And I would initially really beat myself up if I didn't accomplish my goal in that window because I said, well, this is the only window I have. The work has to get done. And and it took a a while to realize that, like, the work doesn't always fit in the windows that you have.
1: Not at all. And I made a big mistake when I first started was... I would put my son to bed and then I would put a few hours away at nighttime to be able to go and do schoolwork. And I would leave my work email up. And I learned very quickly that was the wrong thing to do because then I would find myself responding to work emails and switching over to work mode a little bit in the middle of it. So now I just have to shut it all down.
0: That's a great point and I think a good transition because, you know, as both of us have, uh, you know, worked and gone to school at the same institution, it's a shared stream of information your email and i've run into that as well of i need to check an email for a class project and then sitting right above it is some urgent email for work and you've seen it it's too oh, late yeah. you've seen the email you know i don't think i've been as great about turning it off in, in that case but uh, it, sometimes you'd get frustrated and you realize it's it's only your own fault like you can't get mad at an email from work on the weekend because
1: you were you, on your email <laughs> you, yeah you didn't have to, you
0: didn't have to have it open but you did so Thinking about that relationship between school and work, and we want to talk about the connections um, and maybe some of the advantages and challenges of doing those same things concurrently. As you went through your classes, did you find opportunities to to connect your work practice to your academic assignments?
1: I think that sometimes I did, not as much in the beginning. That was before the bachelor's program had started, so as the bachelor's program was coming up and running and I was working more in doing the student engagement and working with the students and doing some curriculum stuff, that's when I was really able to, to, to work them together a little bit more. But still, it wasn't a lot. I did a cohort of classes on instructional design, and I think that those were the three classes that I really was able to, to bring in some of my work a little bit more.
0: When you did that, did you ever feel that you're maybe doing work either an advantage or a disservice by by sort of turning it into a class assignment?
1: No. If anything, I think that I was not a disservice, maybe an advantage for one of my instructional design um, classes. We had to create a Canvas module, and I ended up creating something that was for the Bulletin and for Kim, just because people, I, I work in the Bulletin and Kim a lot, and I really understand that process a little bit more. So now there's like this entire module that I've created that if anyone in the college wants to look at it, they're more than welcome to.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> and, and, I don't and, know who and, would want to look at that. But, but, you know, there's that real world application that mm-hmm. becomes very real when you, it's actually, you know, within, within your work. And did you ever, you know, sort of see maybe maybe the limitations of the assignment holding back what you wanted to do for work, where, like, if you had more time on the assignment, you would do more, uh, but, you know, the assignment only wants you to go for steps one to two, and, you know, for work, you really need to go all the way.
1: I never really found that. at one point, again, with the instructional design classes, I was working, um, consecutively with VCU Online doing an online course build at the same time that we were working in a class. So I was able to sort of see it in two different ways at the same time. So even though I had to do it for work and go all the way, I don't think that it, it limited me in any way. And, you know, I was really bouncing stuff off of my instructor at the same time, Brian Jackson. And so I thought that it really worked out well, but I didn't feel that it limited me at all.
0: Excellent. So, you know, part of all programs, particularly like doctoral programs, is to make you, you know, act as a critical scholar and and to be critical uh, uh, and ask questions and try to, you know, advance the information that you're working on. So I was wanted to bring up, you know, how do you kind of draw that line in regards to the ethical use of work information in class? So you maybe want to bring up an example and critique it. But obviously, there are is not only privacy issues, but you know, there's probably some ethical and moral like quandary there of, of should I discuss this?
1: Absolutely, and that really only came up a few times where I would bring up a, a specific work example, and at the same time, I say specific, but whenever I would talk about it, I was very vague. A lot of people I noticed in my program were also VCU employees, so if they were bringing up something as well, it was always done in sort of like a vague manner. We didn't obviously give any names of students or employees that we were talking about, but I think that we were able to view something in a critical lens and, and challenge it a little bit within the confines of a classroom without it becoming an ethical issue.
0: How did your instructors maybe help create that that environment that you felt comfortable with with to to have those conversations?
1: I think that at least in the school of education, People are really open. You know, they always say we're educators, we love teaching, and we love using real-world examples. And so I think that the instructors sort of led the way. They'll, they would talk about situations that they had had at work. Specifically, my concentration is in adult learning um, and human resources. So my instructors would always sort of kind of be required to bring into these real, real-world experiences that they had as well. So I think that the best way that they did it was sort of by leading the way.
0: No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Then thinking sort of about back to the to the time management and the workloads, there are sort of like life cycles, you know, with your academics, things are going to be higher at sometimes and lower at others and same with your workload. So we'll kind of just start with, you know, how did you make any adjustments at work when sort of your academic demands increased?
1: That's a great question. So, I'm now in the dissertation phase of my PhD, which means I do not take classes anymore. There is nobody holding me accountable for my work. So, what I did last semester was I tried to and I had a conversation with my supervisor first was to take off as many Fridays as I could because Fridays generally around here are a little bit lighter on the meetings, so it's easier to block off time. And I'm very. I'm not very good at being protective of that time, so there were definitely a few Fridays where if somebody needed to meet with me, I absolutely put that first, doing that. So I was trying to take that time to be able to write for myself as well. I, I think I might try and do that again in the later spring and summer, and I think that what I learned from that is that if I block off time on my calendar for something, if I'm using my vcu employee time off for it to write then i then i just need to be protective of it and, and use it to write
0: I, I couldn't agree more um it's something i did as well and i think for me one of the other benefits of doing that was i could could block off a significant amount of time because you know sometimes when the the task gets really challenging having an hour or two is not enough you no. just barely mm-hmm. get into that mindset you need five or six hours
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Well, sometimes the best time to do it is when everyone else is at school at work. Um, So, you know, having that quiet time is about the only way you can really get to the point where you're creating something new.
1: Absolutely. I also take advantage of the fact that the building is fairly empty on the weekends. I've come in before and sat in my office on a Sunday for four or five hours and done work. I also go to the library, the health sciences library. Nobody ever goes to that one on the MCV campus. So I just pack my lunch and come down here on the weekends for a couple hours and my husband's really supportive of it.
0: Yeah, those are great ideas. Yeah. So what about the opposite? What about when there is sort of the the, the peaks at work, you know, graduation, things like that? How, how do you make adjustments academically?
1: This is something that I'm just getting out of on the other end, which is that work was really busy and I had to put school aside for a few weeks. And the way that I look at it is work's my first job. You know, I'm not getting my PhD if I'm not working at VCU and getting the tuition waiver benefit. That has to come first for me. And I understand that. I have a great relationship with my supervisor. We communicate very well, very often. And so she knew that I was taking a few weeks stepping back from writing on my dissertation. I also needed a little bit of a breathing room from it anyway, when you get too close to a document like that. Um, But then I went and had a meeting with her the other week and said, okay, I'm Circling back you know I I met with my dissertation chair I've been meeting with her it's time for me to get back focused again and she's she's super supportive so I think that understanding at least for me that that work comes first my family comes second school comes third and then just communicating with as many people as possible so they know what's going on even if I'm borderline complaining
0: <laughs> well I think it's it's transparency it's not it's not complaining and I, I think it is important to to kind of acknowledge that that you know you are creating this balance. And and sometimes both things can peak at the same time. And that can be real tough. But at least in my experience, th- that sort of concurrent elevation didn't really happen as often as I feared. They're, they kind of were fortunately like spaced out.
1: Yeah, it's been, that's really the only time that, and I'm lucky that I was already in the dissertation phase and not in a class. So I had the flexibility to to step back from the dissertation for a little while and focus on what was going on at work.
0: Just a couple more questions. You're towards the end. I I mean, hopefully we're getting there. Um, So like kind of looking back, you know, what, if anything, would you have done differently?
1: This is a great question. So um, somebody else that works in the Dean's office with me right now, she is applying for a PhD program and I advised her immediately find as a part-time student, at least for me, I was not part of a cohort of students. I was a part-time student. I felt like I wasn't on an island sometimes out there and I told her when you're accepted because I know she will be and when she starts find somebody immediately that can be your writing buddy, your accountability partner um, that you can sort of go through the program with it starting at the same time. I think it's also helpful if they are not doing research that's very similar to yours because then You want to make sure that you're writing in a way that you're explaining it to somebody that is not familiar with the topic at all. And having somebody that's not familiar with it is really good. So they're sort of in the same boat as you when it comes to the workload, but they can read your work and say, okay, this makes sense or this doesn't make sense or I would add or take away from here. Um, I've just found an accountability partner and a writing partner um, named Erin, in the past year or so, and that's exactly what it is. We're in the same program, but she does something completely different from what I do. So if what I'm writing makes zero sense, she has no problem letting me know. So I told I, I told my colleague, I was like, absolutely, this is what you need to do from the very beginning. And also make sure that you're writing towards your research. Don't write a random paper.
0: <laughs> that's a great point. I mean, I think that goes back to sort of the taking advantage of, of the academics in your work. Is everything should be pointed towards, you know, your your pursuit or something that can can benefit you, which can be hard when you're interested in a lot of things. And yes. you're like, oh, that topic's fun, but it, it it's not focused. Yes. You get it rein it in.
1: It took me a long like I knew that I wanted my dissertation and my research to be on adult learners. Obviously it's something I'm passionate about. As I've been going through this program, it got more narrowed down to how people like us that are working full time and going to school, how we're being supported by our organizations and our institutions and our leadership. And so it did take me a while to narrow down um, where I was going. So but I was on the same path the entire time.
0: So you you kind of already touched on this, but I'll ask it just as as we wrap up, um, you know, for those considering going to school, um, do you have any other advice for them that are kind of on the fence about, you know, should I do these two things concurrently?
1: The best advice I got and the best advice I took that I already talked about was doing the informational interviews or career conversations. They're called a bunch of different things. And just nobody that I've known has ever had any problem talking about themselves so when I reached out to people and said I'm thinking about doing this program do you have a few minutes to talk to me I got the most information from those people so I would just have as many conversations as possible go in with an informed decision make sure that you talk to your family make sure that you talk to your supervisor I tell everybody that I'm getting my PhD
0: (laughs) it's it's called accountability yes (laughs) No, that, that's that's great advice. Um, well, want to really appreciate your time with us here, and uh, you know, good luck with the rest of the dissertation.
1: Great, thanks, Mike.